This is a Healthier Michigan podcast, episode 66. Coming up, we discuss how daylight savings time affects our sleep. Welcome to a Healthier Michigan podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to helping us all improve our health and well-being through small healthy habits we can start implementing right now. I'm your host, Chuck Gatica, and every other week we sit down with a certified health expert from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, and we dive into topics that cover nutrition and fitness and, of course, today, sleep and a whole lot more. On this episode, we're discussing the impact of daylight savings and how we can now look for better sleep, what we can do to reset our internal clocks. And so with us today is care management physician for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, Dr. Angela Seabright. Good to have you with us, doctor. Thank you for having me. Oh, sure. It's our pleasure. Uh, Dr. Seabright has her pre-med studies at University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, then went on to complete her medical degree at Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine in Pennsylvania, and she's also a um, primary care physician. So, you know, sleep, we, we know we want to go to sleep, and we know that we want to wake up rested, but it seems like as we head toward this time every year, at least in Michigan, where we're now going to fall back, this becomes a topic that a lot of us talk about with our spouses, with family members, with friends, etc. This idea that we've got to somehow prepare our biological clocks for a change that's coming. Why is sleep so important for us for the reasons that may not be so obvious to guys like me? Well, sleep is essential. And I have to kind of laugh. It's a little ironic that I'm here talking about sleep because I have three young children my youngest is seven months old. Wow. So for me right now, sleep is a precious commodity, and I'm <laughs> sure a lot of people can relate. Yeah, you don't get it. I don't. Yeah. And, you know, but sleep is very important. We know that while we're resting, our body is actually conserving energy, restoring and repairing important functions, and consolidating memory. We also know that lack of sleep is linked with inflammation, heart disease, increased risk of weight gain, obesity, and type 2 diabetes. So we've heard this phrase, at least I have, this idea of circadian rhythm, circadian biology, this thing, I guess, going back to when man was first here on Earth, you know, that we've evolved and adapted to a 24-hour solar clock, and now we're living in a 24-7 world. A lot of us, right? Exactly. So how have things changed and how have those changes in our lifestyle, kids included, I mean, that happens, uh, you know, for a lot of people, but what has changed that you see making a big impact on our sleep patterns, our healthful sleep patterns? Well, we kind of have this culture where, you know, we want to just keep going and going and going and burning the midnight oil and there's always so much work to do. And even now with people working from home and having their bedroom also doubling as their home office, there's so many distractions and so many ways that we can interfere with our sleep. But it's very important to make it a priority. And we know that with the time change, if you ever want an example of how a one-hour time change, either forward or backward, can wreak havoc, just ask parents of young children. You know, I can attest to it. We dread daylight savings time. You work so hard to establish this bedtime and this nap routine, mm -hmm. and then everything is just thrown off. I still remember, you know, my first daylight savings with my oldest, and he was a baby, and of course, I didn't plan ahead. I didn't even realize it was that weekend. And I just remember sitting in my living room with my husband at 5 a.m. with this toddler who was ready to go for the day. 
And I thought, never again, I'm going to plan ahead. So it definitely affects us from the very young to the old. Well, we've got five kids, and now we've got three grandchildren, which is a blessing. You know, it's such a great new uh, season of life. But a couple of our granddaughters, I mean, when they are up, it's like 6 or 7 a.m. They're up. They're ready to go. It's time for Muppet Babies. And it's like, whoa, I got it, you know. So we now have our kindergarten age uh, granddaughter spending Friday nights, a lot of Friday nights with us after she does virtual school, kindergarten. And, of course, if we wake up Saturday morning in the old days— you know, that was the sleep in morning. And now it's like, boom, we've got to get going. So you're living it. And then there's the other part of having young kids in the household, which is they don't always have a pattern anyway. They may just decide 3 a.m. is the time to get up, right? Right. And you have to be ready. And you could be getting up every hour on the hour with that baby. And at 6 a.m., they're ready to go. And you better be ready as well. It's kind of that bright eyed and bushy tailed. And so, you know, a lot of us wake up kind of groggy, and that's kind of your clue that maybe you're not getting enough sleep. If you wake up feeling alert and refreshed, then you've probably hit your target for sleep quality and duration. And most adults should get at least seven hours of sleep per night. And we all seem to know that person who can survive on less, but in general, adults should be getting seven hours as a minimum. So I've heard that our bodies are filled with little clocks, like a network of little clocks, everything from our organs down to the gene size. And if that's true, and we now come up against this uh, end of daylight savings time, how do we reset our clocks? You know, the overall body clock and then all of these little clocks that have to somehow fall into sync. You're right. You're resetting all the clocks in your house, but then also our internal clock has to get back in sync with our new environmental time. Mm. So fortunately for the fall, we're gaining an hour. And I I know we can all use an extra hour in our day. It sounds great. We make all these plans. We're going to meal prep. We're going to maybe exercise that day. It never seems to happen. That hour can be fleeting. But one thing you can do is make sure that you are getting enough light exposure during the day. That's very important to set our clock as the daytime progresses and then leads into the evening. Then you may want to start dimming the lights and preparing your body and signaling to your body that, hey, it's nighttime. We need to start getting ready for bed. That's where the hormone melatonin, which is kind of our sleep hormone that signals the brain to sleep, that starts producing higher amounts in the evening hours. So these are there's little environmental cues that signal our body to sleep, and light exposure is one of them. Exercise is another one. As we're exercising, we're increasing our body temperature, and we know that lower body temperature helps us sleep. So people that exercise close to bed, that's probably not a good idea. It may be throwing off your sleep because it's altering that body temperature not to mention it's increasing, you know, other adrenaline and other hormones that kind of keep us alert. And then our meal times also, how we how we eat during the day, your body uses that as a signal for when it's time to sleep. You probably shouldn't be eating huge meals before bed. That can also throw off that circadian rhythm or our sleep-wake cycle. Mm. And you talked about the environment. So here in Michigan, at least, we also have the environment outside, right, where sometimes it seems like we go into the clouds in November and we don't come back out until March. So when it's darker outside, even during the day, does that tend to throw us off a little bit? Yes, it definitely can. And natural sunlight is always preferred. 
But some people who have sleep disorders or, you know, seasonal affective disorder or SAD, which is related to not having enough sunlight, yeah, they're sometimes recommended to get a light box and have, you know, a certain amount of time a day next to this light, this artificial light that mimics the sunlight to kind of help with some of those processes. So I guess a good word for a lot of us is disruption, right? We've got this world that we're living in, and whether there's angst over the season we've come through, politics, who knows what it is, any disruption can upset the apple cart and lead us to an inopportune night of sleep. Are the things, you've mentioned melatonin, are the things that we're now seeing in the world smartwatches that track your sleep, melatonin, uh, CBD oil, are there any any of these that really do work, or is some of it just placebo? We think it works, we go to sleep better, so I guess it works, right? Right. You know, sleep is a billion-dollar industry, and there's so many companies that promote products that are guaranteed to fix your sleep problems and give you the best night's sleep. But we know sleep is so complicated, and there's unfortunately no quick fix or easy solution. So I'm very careful in what I recommend to patients because a lot of these products aren't necessarily studied or proven. Mm -hmm. There are different things you can use, different tools, but I think what's more effective is to determine the root cause of your sleep problem and go from there as far as what you can do to create solutions. So if you want to add melatonin, okay, but why are you adding the melatonin? Is it because you're a shift worker and your whole schedule is off? Is it because you can't fall asleep? Are you taking it because you're waking up several times in the night? You know, there's different reasons for why you should be taking these things. And so you really have to investigate the why, and that's going to help you solve the problem. So in the case of melatonin directly, though, it's an over-the-counter thing. Can it hurt you? In other words, if you know the why. You just can't sleep. I mean, that's about as much as you want to get into it. And you take an over-the-counter melatonin and it seems to help you. Is that just, there you have your answer, bada bing, bada boom, and it's all done? Can you get hurt by taking melatonin over-the-counter? Well, melatonin is very popular, and it's important to remember that it's a supplement. It's not a medication. Mm -hmm. So because of that terminology, it's not FDA regulated. And so buyer beware, you may not know exactly what you're getting. For the most part, yes, it's been kind of popular and it can be safe. But because it's not FDA regulated, there may be some inaccuracies in the dosage or some other impurities in it. And so we do recommend that you exercise caution if you use that. And you should probably always ask your doctor ahead of time if it's right for you. And with any of these sleep aids and even melatonin, it's best to be used in the short term. Mm. And melatonin works best for people who have those circadian rhythm disorders. So those night owls or people who just really have difficulty falling asleep due to jet lag or other issues. But as far as a long-term solution, I would not recommend that. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, I was in our local pharmacy the other day and just walking in there to pick up some other stuff. And it's amazing. They've redone the pharmacy, the layout and the whole thing. I saw it ongoing over the past month. And now you walk past the vitamin area, the end shelves are very bright, kind of white layout like an Apple store, you know, and I was amazed at how many products were related to sleep with melatonin included. It was obviously thought out and they know what they're going after. I saw the headline, $432 billion market, the sleep market. So you're right. It's crazy off the charts. 
Right. And, you know, like we said, there's other things that you can do. You can use these products as tools, but you really should be working on healthy habits and lifestyle changes to correct the underlying issue. So what are some of those? If we want to attack this in a healthful way, give us some takeaways, things we can do now. So, you know, some of it, a lot of people know some of these healthy habits. They may think it's somewhat common sense. In the medical field, we refer to it as sleep hygiene. So some of these things are sleeping in a cool, dark environment that doesn't have a bunch of, you know, loud noises or distractions. You know, you could sleep with a good pillow and mattress that doesn't cause our back to ache. Those are things that's probably going to promote good sleep. But other healthy habits that you may not be aware of, you know, keeping the same sleep schedule, which is really hard to do. You mentioned earlier how, you know, Saturday morning you want to sleep in. But actually, that's not a great idea because that really can throw your body off. So the more consistent of a schedule you have as far as your bedtime and your wake-up time, that's going to promote the best sleep. Also, we mentioned exercise. So that actually improves your sleep quality and helps you fall asleep. Avoiding caffeine, especially in the afternoon. You may not realize that that cup of coffee that you have at noon is actually still in your system when you go to bed at 10 o'clock at night. And that can definitely affect your ability to fall asleep. Minimizing alcohol, that's another big one. People think that, you know, a glass of wine or a nightcap can help them unwind or make it easier to fall asleep. And while that's true, you may fall asleep quicker, it actually can disrupt your normal sleep cycle. And so the quality of sleep is not great, not to mention the possible hangover the next day, which is Nobody wants to feel groggy. That's the whole reason why we're trying to get good sleep. Yeah. And then bright lights, avoiding bright lights. That's the other thing is that blue light. So a lot of us are staring at our computer screens or our cell phones, and we really recommend limiting bright lights from electronics about an hour before bed which I don't know how many people could admit to doing that. It's really hard to do. Yeah, and you know, you're saying some things that I think for a lot of people, their average day may not include a cup of coffee short of the morning if that's their wake-up call, but it may include the Diet Coke or otherwise at lunchtime, right, which has caffeine. It may include that one glass of red wine that we've heard is healthful. Not that you're going to get schnockered, but you know that, well, I'm just going to have a glass of wine every once in a while. You're not going to have it at noon for most of us. That probably will occur after dinner time. So when you have that normal kind of rhythm, how do you judge? You just try to listen to your body better. If you're not getting sleep, you can start to subtract some of these things at certain times just to see if that has an impact. Right. Yeah. And these are recommendations. So maybe just work on one or two at a time and see if it helps. Ideally, if you could use all of these recommendations, that would be the best, but I know it's very difficult. So you kind of have to individualize it to your lifestyle and maybe pick out what could be the culprit. And you know, a lot of this does seem to be individual, right? Like weighted blankets are one of these things I'm sure that pops up in this multi-billion dollar market for sleep aids. And yet, you know, for me, I want like the least amount of blankets. I do like it cool. And so whether it's some kind of new mattress topper, we had one of these for a small RV for a while when we were into the camping thing, you know, and I noticed that it actually held my heat. It actually made me feel warmer than I'd like to. And trust me, the camper was not like the warmest place in the world to be. So sometimes we get these things thinking they're going to help. And I think, uh, sadly, we realize after we've purchased them, maybe they weren't the best buy to begin with, you know. 
Right. And you definitely don't want to be sweating while you're sleeping. Yeah. Ideal sleep temperature is at 65 to 67 degrees. So, you know, in weighted blankets, the thought with that isn't so much, you know, as far as the warmth, it's more of that gentle pressure that they provide, mm. kind of like swaddling a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, they say maybe it could alleviate anxiety and promote sleep. Unfortunately, there really isn't sufficient evidence to recommend them. However, like you said, if you're someone who tends to be more anxious or you like having that kind of closeness, then you can certainly try that. Again, just another tool in the toolbox. And any other natural remedies that you've seen that may not be FDA approved? Anything that really jumps off the charts to you, even as a reflection from various patients, aromatherapy, anything else that seems to have an effect? Well, I mean, aromatherapy probably doesn't hurt anything. Again, just like the weighted blankets, we don't really have studies to prove that it works. But we do know that lavender and chamomile may have calming effects. So whether that comes in like an oil or an aromatherapy or, you know, teas, I've seen people drink teas before bedtime that maybe have some of these herbal remedies. So those are fine to try. We just don't know for sure. And then, you know, the thing is, is, You have to use these in conjunction with those healthy habits because you could be someone who's drinking an afternoon espresso and staring at the blue light on your cell phone into the wee hours of the night and smelling lavender oil probably isn't going to fix your problem at that point. Yeah. And you know, the world has shifted for so many people working from home that the idea of, um, how shall I put it, ritual, you know, the the usual, the waking up at a certain hour, even if you had to drive to work, you know, back in the old days, <laughs> meaning early this year, now all of a sudden your rhythms of life have changed as well. And you don't really have those rituals of time to start, time to end, time to go home, you know, time for dinner. So for a lot of us, just that life rhythm has shifted so much. That's got to have an impact for a lot of people. You're right. The lines are definitely blurred. Uh, And I know people that, you know, if they have their work computer in their bedroom, you're trying to get to bed and wind down for the night. And that computer's just staring at you in the corner. And you think, well, maybe I'll just get a head start or I'll just check a work email. And the next thing you know, an hour has gone by and your whole relaxation has been sabotaged by work. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, you can also drift into the news of the day or here comes a bulletin on your phone or the weather's changing. So you're in the midst of just trying to do something that should only take 10 minutes. And like you're saying, it could turn into an hour and you've been staring at that laptop screen. Right. And not only is the blue light affecting you, but also just the stress of your body and the overthinking and the cognitive, you know, we're trying to shut things down for the night and you're increasing your alertness and riling yourself up, so to speak. So we've tried to talk about some of the natural things. As a physician, you must have people that you see who come to you and say, I've tried everything, doc. I mean, I've, I've tried changing this and changing that. And when it's time to really deal with this as a physician with the help of medication, what do you say to those patients and how do you determine what could be health for them? And really, what are we seeing in trends that you're seeing from your side of the lens as a doctor? Right. Well, one of the most commonly used medications are the -the over-the-counter sleep aids. 
So as far as sleep aids, there can definitely be a role for them as far as short-term treatment for people who have maybe not had success with more holistic options or lifestyle changes like we talked about. But you should always talk to your doctor before you use any type of sleep aid, even if it's available over the counter. One of the most common ones that patients use are uh, antihistamines like diphenhydramine or more commonly known as Benadryl. And so these are found in formulations over the counter and sometimes they're found in combination with a pain reliever like Tylenol. So you'll see Tylenol PM or Advil PM. And so a lot of patients will go to that because they trust those brands. But I would caution people, don't take a pain relieving sleep aid just to sleep if you don't have any pain, because basically you're taking an additional unnecessary medication that could have effects on your liver or your kidneys. And if you're going to take just the plain antihistamine, there are some risks with that. There are some unpleasant side effects from antihistamines like dry mouth and constipation. Yeah, it also can cause daytime sleepiness. And for older people, that daytime sleepiness can increase the risk of falls as well as confusion. So we really don't recommend antihistamines, especially in the long term. And you can develop a tolerance, even though it's over the counter. A lot of people think of developing a tolerance with only prescription medications. Tolerance means that you need higher dosages to achieve the same effects. You can still develop that with antihistamines. So there are some risks. And in general, we don't recommend. And and you'll be surprised the science doesn't even show that they're that effective. That's interesting. And it's also interesting how it's been coupled with, you know, the aspirin or the uh, acetaminophen or whatever it is, you know, for the something, something PM. Because to your point, if you don't have arthritis or the bad knee or something that's giving you pain, giving you trouble to sleep at night, just taking that something PM may not be good for you, may not be good for your stomach. And now you've got a whole new reason you're staying up at night because of, uh, you know, an irritated stomach. Right. Yeah, it's a unnecessary use of a medication, and there's always side effects with that. So as you look toward the future, which is kind of now, because, you know, this hundreds of billions of dollars of sleep market looks like it's just going to keep increasing, what do you see as the near and long-term future for best practices and best advice when it comes to sleep, a good night's sleep? Yeah, well, you know, obviously the sleep habits are going to be huge and practicing those sleep hygiene techniques. And then also before medication, we really recommend therapy, something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the first line treatments for insomnia. Hmm. And that's basically a series of sessions with a therapist that kind of focus on not only teaching some of those sleep hygiene techniques, but also behavioral training and rewiring of the brain to recognize the bed as a stimulus for sleep and maximizing you know, your sleep efficiency. So that's really something that as a physician, we try to use that first and foremost before medications, as well as counseling and education to people on those healthy habits. Well, and it seems like that can be such a challenge. I, I remember I just watched, I don't know, maybe a month ago, this documentary on uh, Robin Williams' life. And in there, his wife was speaking about the fact that toward the end of his, just before he uh, took his own life, that he 
started sleeping in a different room. And I've read a, a line before, sleep divorce, where spouses literally separate because one of them can't sleep well or snores and one of them sleeps fine, but they're like, well, we just have to you know, break apart uh, for a good night's sleep. And it seems like that's such a sad therapy to have to get to when you have some of these other options to just say, I'm going to take hold of this, and whether it's cognitive therapy or something else that you could you know, direct us toward, there are so many other options that we can look to. And I think that's a hope when I hear what you're saying today. It's filled with a lot of hope. There are a lot of things we can naturally attack to really help us get a good night's sleep. Yeah, I would think the best thing is just trying to figure out the root cause and work with your doctor, your clinician, and practice these changes. And just know that it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight, so to speak. It's going to take several days, several weeks, maybe months to kind of retrain yourself how to sleep. Yeah. Well, do me a favor. We've gone through a lot of great material, a lot of great input from you. But if I wake up first thing in the morning, take me through a day, give me maybe the top five things I can do that you think will have the greatest impact on my sleep, starting with when I wake up in the morning. What should I do? When you wake up, well, hopefully you're waking up at the same time every day. That's very important. So try to make sure that you have that routine. And then sunlight, getting adequate light. Go outside, get some fresh air, get the sun if it's out. I know in Michigan, we don't always see it. But if the sun is out, go outside, enjoy the sunlight. If it's not sunny outside, turn up the lights in your house. Make it kind of a bright environment that signals to yourself, hey, it's daytime, I'm awake, it's a new day. And then exercise, make sure that you're getting your heart rate up, that you're having cardiovascular exercise, you're breathing, that body temperature goes up. That kind of gives you increased alertness throughout the day. And then making sure that you're eating healthy, you're fueling your body throughout the day. You're not just eating processed foods or carbohydrates. We want natural foods, foods that provide fuel to give you the energy throughout the day. And then also that makes it easier for you to wind down at night. And in the evening, kind of shut out some of the distractions. So back to those electronics, all the distractions from our cell phones, our computers, try to unwind, give your body a chance to settle, not only your body, but your mind. You don't want to be maybe watching the news too late at night and get yourself worked up and just kind of keep to a routine. I think that's the best thing we could do for our bodies, and that's going to promote the best sleep at night. Lots of great advice. I thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Dr. Seabright, who is a medical director of care management with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. It's so great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, be well. We're glad you joined us as well. Thanks for listening to a Healthier Michigan podcast is brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. If you like the show, you want to know more, you can go online. You can check it out at ahealthiermichigan.org slash podcast. You can get all of our previous episodes as well. This is episode 66, so you've got a treasure trove of stuff from people who have forgotten more about the topic than I know. So it's just a pleasure to be able to learn from so many bright people like Dr. Angela Seabright. And if you want to leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcast or Stitcher, feel free. You can get new episodes on your smartphone or tablet. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. I'm Chuck Gatica. Have a good night's sleep. <laughs>